0: Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So here we have a reference to ordinances. These are verdicts, God's legal judgments, according to his perfect righteousness, his moral law. There is, as it were, a document, a handwritten document, listing. God's verdicts upon each of us as the one who is our judge. There is a handwriting of ordinances against each of us. God's verdict on our sin. It's a formal legal document. Now, in ancient times, uh, bonds of indebtedness, uh, when a man was in serious financial debt, the debt was formally cancelled by means of hammering a nail through the document which said the man was in debt. And here we have the same image and metaphor. because the debt of each of us as hopeless sinners having broken God's law has been cancelled if we are trusting in Jesus Christ blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross the Lord Jesus Christ has cancelled the formal document accusing us as hopeless sinners, he has cancelled it by nailing it to his cross. Now, all people without exception are debtors in that they have broken God's laws and must pay the appropriate penalty which is death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 3, verse 9. Both Jews and Gentiles, we are told, are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Then, verse 23 of Romans 3, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The men of the world like to think that they are good, but the word of God says that they are not good, they are hopeless sinners. There is then a handwriting, a formal document declaring men's guilt. God, the judge of all the earth, has issued this document written by his own hand and it says... Guilty, condemned sinner. However, by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, bearing the penalty for the sins of men, the sinner's indebtedness has been cancelled. And so a nail is, as it were, hammered through the document, rendering it null and void. The document condemning us is nailed to the cross. The legal statement of condemning ordinances or verdicts is for the believer blotted out and cancelled if they are trusting in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And so as we consider the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are considering a legal transaction. It's all about our guilt under the law. Those who are not in Christ, by means of repentance and faith, still have this handwriting of ordinances issued against them. They still have the legal document issued against them, standing against them. Notice the repetition in this verse 14, speaking of the document, the handwriting, that was against us which was contrary to us. Note the repetition for emphasis. This formal legal verdict is against you. And there is no true preaching of the Christian gospel without telling men about this formal verdict against them because of their sin. Now, God's law is good. It reveals God's perfect righteousness. And it reveals man's corruption in stark contrast to that righteousness. So, God is declaring to all people I have this indictment to serve upon you, I have, as it were, a warrant for your arrest. You've got to go to trial and you will be condemned and the penalty is death. That is what God is saying. You are in breach of my law under which you were called to live. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 9, Paul says concerning God's law, the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners. Men need God's laws because they are unruly. They need them precisely because they have a natural inclination to ignore them. All without exception are in breach of God's holy Requirements, but for those who repent of sin and trust in Christ the legal indictment against them is cancelled it is nailed to the cross because there where Christ died the requirements of God's justice were perfectly satisfied There is no forgiveness of sin without the justice of God first being satisfied. And that is where Islam falls down. Because there is no atonement. There's just a hope that Allah will be merciful. Or else, say the Muslims, We'll spend a period in hell, and then when justice is done, we'll come out of hell. But there's no coming out of hell. Hell is eternal. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse... For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. So the word of God is telling us that if a person were to get to heaven by his own keeping of God's commandments, he would have to continue in everything that's written there and never once to have broken any of God's commandments, even in thought and word. But no one falls into that category. No one could ever be declared righteous in God's sight through their own law-keeping. And one of the great problems we have today is that we have a society infected by the false religion of cultural Marxism. And people think that if they adhere to what this system teaches, they are good, virtuous people. I believe in inclusiveness. I believe in equality. I'm a good person. I believe in saving the planet. What a virtuous person I am. But no man is justified in God's sight by anything that they do in and of themselves. They can't be justified through their own man-made systems of virtue And they certainly cannot be justified by God's standards of virtue. Because there is none righteous, no not one. So the Lord is saying to every single non-Christian, you would have to keep the whole of God's law perfectly and continually every single day of your life. In order to obtain salvation on the basis of your own goodness. Now, no human being with a fallen and corrupted and polluted heart is capable of doing that. Therefore, all men without exception are under God's curse. The curse of God's law. And we have to tell people that. We must not go straight to Jesus loves you. They are under the curse of God because of their sin. God is declaring, this is my formal legal verdict against you. This document written by my hand certifies and confirms your guilt. You are not the good person you thought you were. King Belshazzar, one of the idolatrous kings of Babylon, he once saw God's own handwriting on the wall of his palace. And this handwriting of God condemned him. And it is just the same today. And this is what this verse 14 is speaking of. There is a handwriting of ordinances against us. In God's own hand there is a written indictment Declaring everyone without faith in Christ to be guilty. Not neutral, not innocent, guilty. And it does not matter that a person has kept some commandments and not others. People might say, well I've not robbed a bank, I've not murdered anybody. You still stand guilty before God. People might say, oh, well, I give money to charity. You still stand guilty before God. You could give away every penny you have. It wouldn't wash away a single sin. A man standing before a judge for having stolen a car cannot say in his defence, I have paid my taxes. He stands guilty. Keeping one law does not cancel out the breaking of others. And breaking one of God's commandments reveals contempt for all of God's commandments. And that is what we have to say to those false Christians who condone the sin of homosexuality. You break one aspect of God's law... It means you despise the whole of God's law. Man's feeble good works cannot blot out the awful stain of a single sin. Without shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Hebrews 9.22, that is what God has ordained. Only by means of death, only by means of shed blood can sin be forgiven. And that means that there can be no forgiveness in Islam. Because there is no atonement, no shedding of blood. The death of Jesus Christ concerns every human being. It is the most significant event in all human history. Because in the death of Christ we see the only means of blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that is against everyone. It is only through faith in Christ who bore the penalty of God's law in the sinner's place that anyone can ever be Given. The penalty for sin is death. That is how serious sin is. The Lord Jesus Christ took this death penalty for the sins of the world onto his own person as the sinner's representative. In this way, he blotted out the document announcing men's condemnation. But everyone without Christ today still has that legal document, that verdict of condemnation hanging over them. Now, we read concerning the cross in verse 15 here, and concerning our Lord in his death, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ triumphed over principalities and powers. He triumphed over Satan and his demons who were holding the great majority of men in the darkness of unbelief. So our Lord came into this world to overturn Satan's kingdom and to bind Satan's power. And so our Lord says this in Matthew 12, verse 28. Matthew 12, verse 28. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? Well, when we see the cross, we see our Lord binding the strong man, Satan. As Paul said of the completion of our Lord's redemptive work. Ephesians 4.8. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive captive. Captivity describes all the demonic forces which have held men in captivity. The devil and his evil spirits are generically called captivity because they hold all people captive. But at the cross Satan and his demons were put in chains. The Lord led captivity captive. At the cross, Satan's hold over men was broken. So the Lord ascended triumphantly to heaven. A way has now been opened up for wicked men and lawbreakers to free themselves. From Satan's clutches. And so as our Lord went to the cross he said this. In John 12 and verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world Satan be cast out. And I if I be lifted up from the earth shall draw all men unto me. So as our Lord was lifted up on the cross, Satan was defeated. Satan cannot any longer stop the Lord Jesus Christ from drawing sinners to himself. His power has been broken. Now verse 15 here uses the metaphor of a Roman victory procession where the captured soldiers are paraded through the streets. The cross is a very public event. It applies to every single human being who has ever lived. We are told that the Lord Jesus Christ has made a show of or disarmed the principalities and powers openly. Notice that word openly in verse 15. The whole world must know about the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a public, international, universal event. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, I don't like engaging in theological controversy, but I must say Jesus Christ died for everyone, without exception. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. At the cross, there was darkness over the face of the earth for three hours in the middle of the day. At the cross, the demonic power behind all sin and unbelief was exposed for the evil it really is. When our Lord rose again and ascended into heaven, he led captivity captive. He led the demons away in chains. Satan and the fallen angels are now bound. They cannot stop us preaching the gospel. They cannot stop sinners being saved. Christ has won a victory which must be proclaimed to all the world. His death is the means of saving Every single person from eternal condemnation. Earlier on in this epistle, Paul has written in chapter 1 and verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13, speaking of the Father. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. The non-believer, the one who rejects Christ, remains blinded by Satan. But he who comes to the Saviour is set free from Satan's domain and is brought into the kingdom of God. And he is set free from the condemning power of God's laws. Verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon. Paul is saying that because the indictment, the legal document against you has been blotted out as Christian believers, because all your guilt has been cancelled at the cross, Because all your horrible breaking of God's moral law has now been forgiven, let no one start finding other grounds to disqualify you from enjoying your complete salvation. But sadly, when Paul was writing, there were those infiltrating the churches, saying, as well as trusting in Christ, you still have to keep the Jewish ordinances, the Jewish ceremonies and regulations, as well as trusting in Christ. There were those who were still demanding that the Jewish ceremonial laws be adhered to. But the Colossian salvation is full and perfect. Back in verse 10, Paul has told them, ye are complete in Christ. So not even the Jewish ceremonies can be added onto the gospel as being necessary to salvation. It's not necessary, therefore, for a Christian to be circumcised. We are saved by faith in Christ Christ. Alone, It's not necessary for a Christian to attend to the old Jewish dietary regulations. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. It's not necessary for a Christian to observe the Jewish festivals. Let no man judge you in respect of an holy day or of the new moon. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. No outward ordinances of men, even those formerly ordained by God, but now having been superseded, no outward works can contribute to our entrance into God's kingdom. The Jewish ceremonial and dietary laws were a prophetic preparation for Christ's coming. But now that he has come, there is no longer any need to observe them at all. And in any case, even in Old Testament times, they were never the means of salvation. Because as Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So no true Christian can boast about what they have done. No true Christian can ever say, God has accepted me because I have done this, this and this. There is no place for human pride in being a Christian. If someone is proud about what they have done, they cannot be a true Christian. And we must be careful here, even as genuine believers. We must not rest upon our Christian service as if that somehow justifies us. We are saved by grace. We are wretched sinners. We cannot rest on anything that we've done. I've been a faithful believer for 50 years. I've supported the work of the church for such a long time. The only basis for acceptance with God is the death of Jesus Christ. Now people are always looking for some means of searching after their own goodness. And, and this is what all the wokery and political correctness We have to put up with today is all about I'm a good person because I believe in equality. I do not discriminate. I'm inclusive. Paul was having to deal with the problem of false teachers coming into the churches saying you must still keep the defunct Jewish ordinances. You see, there is in the heart of man an inclination to pride. Man likes false religion because it builds up his pride. But there is no religious duty that can ever make us right with God. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can make us right with God. Now by insisting on fasting, special diets and special days and by requiring that believers are circumcised the false teachers at Colossae were imposing man-made ideas on the gospel. They were not understanding that the Jewish ceremonies were merely preparatory for the full revelation of the gospel. The Gentile Colossian Christians were under no obligation whatsoever to observe regulations regarding meat or drink or special holy days or special times of the year. The new moon, for example. So we must be careful that we don't practice man-made regulations and then make ourselves think that we're being virtuous and pleasing to God. Galatians 6 verse 12. Uh, We read this earlier on. Galatians chapter 6 verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So there were Jewish false teachers saying that Christians have to be circumcised. And they were saying that in order to avoid persecution from the Jewish authorities. Galatians 6 verse 14 God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing else to boast of but the cross of Jesus Christ. We have no innate goodness to bring to God. There is nothing in Our lives, nothing, even in our Christian service, which is the basis of our salvation. The only basis of our salvation is the death of Jesus Christ. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. So says Paul here, do not listen to the false teachers Insisting on the now defunct Jewish observances. We must focus only on the cross. It's the only means of acceptance with God. If one adds anything else to the cross, be it ritual prayers, going on pilgrimages, engaging in fasting, having a special diet, the punishing of the body, celibacy or charitable donations. All of these things merely feed the pride of man and are a vain attempt to earn one's salvation. So Paul also says in this verse 16 here, let no man therefore judge you, in respect of the Sabbath days at the end of verse 16. Now, the Sabbath days referred to here are not the weekly Sabbath, but the Sabbaths associated with the special Jewish festivals. For example, the Day of Atonement was in itself a Sabbath day, when no work was to be done. But Christians no longer need to observe this day because Christ has now carried out the final and perfect atonement which the Old Testament festivals anticipated. Observance of the weekly Sabbath, which has now been transferred to the first day of the week, is the fourth commandment and is part of God's eternal moral law. The fourth commandment is not a, an aspect of the temporary civil law, which has passed away, such as the dietary regulations. But the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath day holy, is part of God's moral law, which never passes away. We must continue to observe that, not of course in order to gain salvation, but simply because It is what God requires and it is a blessing to us. But the false teachers at Colossae were requiring observance of various Old Testament rest days. And so were adding unnecessary works to the faith which alone saves. There were two special Sabbath days associated with. With the Passover. Christians no longer have to observe them. Christ has come, rendering both the Jewish Passover ceremony and the Passover Sabbaths totally unnecessary. The substance has now come. Why go back to the shadows? Verse 17 which are a shadow of things to come. But the body, the substance, the reality is of Christ. So the word body there in verse 17 is used as the exact opposite to shadow. The Old Testament feasts and ceremonies were just a shadow of the truth, which is fully revealed in the coming of Jesus Christ. His appearing is the body, the actual substance of the truth. And now that we have this substance, the full reality, we must never return to the Old Testament shadows. And so we must impress upon those around us the absolute centrality of the death of Jesus Christ, the most important event in all human history. The handwriting of ordinances, the legal document condemning us has been blotted out if we trust in Christ. It has been cancelled and nailed to the cross. The sinner's condemnation is blotted out because Christ has paid the penalty for sin in the sinner's place. Satan's stranglehold over fallen man has been broken at the cross. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The Lord Jesus has spoiled and triumphed over the principalities and powers, the demonic forces, which even now are holding unbelievers in their grasp. The cross means... That religious ceremonies and man-devised works contribute nothing to our salvation. Personal goodness saves no one. Those who think that they are good people are deceived by the devil himself. The Old Testament observances were good in their day but they were a mere shadow. Christ is the body and full substance. Religious ceremonies and man-devised works merely increase pride. Look at all this charitable work I'm doing. Look at all my community involvement. Conformity to today's notions of goodness such as being inclusive and embracing diversity, can do nothing to make anyone righteous in God's sight. Indeed, such conformity to the spirit of the age is in fact sin. It is faith in the crucified Saviour which alone saves sinners. It is the cross alone which is the basis of any man's salvation. So let us remember these three vital truths set forth by the cross. The verdict of condemnation has been blotted out for all who believe in Christ with repentant hearts. The handwritten legal document condemning us, has been nailed to the cross. That's the first vital truth. The second is that Satan's stranglehold over fallen men has been broken once and for all at the cross. And Thirdly, the cross tells us that religious ceremonies and man-devised works of imagined goodness can contribute absolutely nothing to salvation. The believer in Christ possesses full and perfect salvation simply through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so our declaration must be this. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.